Morning, guys. Nice to see you. Um, I spent some time with another church last weekend, um, just the guys, and, and they asked me to prepare um, on, on the topic of just being effective, just being effective in the kingdom, being an effective Christian. It was, it was aimed at sort of a leadership space, but that was the topic. And, and whenever I, you know, God, you, you've got so much work to do in me. I mean, these guys are like, they've arrived, you know. So what I did is, in order to prepare, I wrote a letter to myself. That's what I did. I actually entitled it Letter to Bradley. And I thought, if I'm going to speak about being effective in the kingdom, I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to speak about what would it mean for me to be effective in the kingdom. I called it a letter to Bradley. Now, you know when someone uses your full name, eh? That's serious. eh? This Adinsler. Like when you use your full name, it's like, it's dangerous. You mean business. You're serious about this thing. And, um, and so I wrote a letter to Bradley, but I, I felt that God was actually addressing me by name. So I felt as I was preparing this thing, this thing was, was for me. It was really for me. I took hold of it. And so what I did in that time is that I wrote a letter to myself and I shared it with him. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to speak to you. It's a letter to me, but I'm going to share it with you. Is that okay this morning? Because I'm probably going to offend 90% of you this morning. But you mustn't be offended. You must just return it back to me with love, because it's written to me. The other 10% won't be offended, because they're not here. They'll only listen on Tuesday, and then they'll be offended on Tuesday. But that's cool, because they'll only see me on the weekend. But I want to look at our heart attitudes towards God. And I want you to know this morning, right off, right off the bat, I'm not speaking to you about serving in the church. I'm not speaking to you about obedience. I'm not speaking to you about being better. I'm not speaking to you about money. I'm speaking to you about a heart condition because I'm speaking to myself about my heart condition towards God. That's what I'm speaking about this morning. And so you can be free. And um, we're going to look at five scriptures. We're going to look at 1 Kings, John 1, Ephesians 5, Romans 12, and a little portion of scripture in Revelation. And at the end of this message, my hope is actually that you walk out the door and you're punching the air. There's no condemnation in Christ. So whatever you hear this morning or whatever you feel, I want you to know you can't feel condemned. You can't feel guilty when you walk out the door because that's not biblical. You might feel convicted. But I'm praying that there's a call to action in us this morning. I'm praying that there's a change of heart. That's what I'm praying. If you're ready, we're going to look at 1 Kings 19. This is a scripture that's been on my heart probably for about three months. I listened to something on it and it's gripped me. And so I want to look at a portion of scripture starting in 1 Kings um, and let's see where we're going. But the scripture is about Elijah. He was a, a great man of God. He was a prophet of God. And, and we're going to look at a portion of his life where he just takes his eyes off Jesus for a split second. He does incredible things. I mean, anybody here would wish for a ministry call like this guy. This is, this is amazing. He's incredible. He, he, he's at the pinnacle of his ministry. He's an instrument of God's incredible provision and mercy, and grace, and prophecy, and righteous anger. And he's prophesying into a very, very evil empire at the time, led by a guy called Ahab, and, um, and his particularly evil wife Jezebel. But the most amazing thing about Elijah is that when he hears from God, he is completely obedient. He hears. God speaks, he's obedient, he walks that thing out, and incredible things take place. And he responds every time that God speaks to him. 
And so in the power of God, he resurrects a dead boy at a widow's house. They're called the widow of Zarephath. He resurrects a boy. Close the sky so that there's a drought in the land so that the nation would see that God is working and that there's a discipline, godly discipline coming down. And so he shuts up the sky, prays, God answers, no rain. And then he takes on 400 prophets of Baal, 400. You know, David was, was known as a man after God's own heart. He only took on one giant, eh? Elijah took on 400 guys. You must be sure of your calling to take on 400 guys. Takes on 400 people. And he taunts them. And there's this this incredible picture where he calls down fire from heaven. It's the Holy Spirit. He calls down fire from heaven on a sacrifice. And the people witness the power of God. It's incredible. And then he has 400 guys slaughtered. Just takes them out. And then he opens the sky. He prays for God to open the sky so that rain can come. And he really is just at the pinnacle of his ministry. And then something quite incredible happens that just completely takes him out at the knees. It says in 1 Kings 19 verse 1, it says, Then King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, she's a piece of work. (laughs) King Ahab tells his wife everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of theirs. She WhatsApps him. <laughs> Just sends him a WhatsApp, and it's all chat. He's resurrected people. He shut the sky. He's opened the sky. He's taken on the prophets of Baal, all in God's power. And one message, one message, and it just takes him out at the knees. Just one message. And he... And he it's just like one little threat to his security, and he folds like a deck of cards, and he runs for his life. It says he leave his, leaves his servant behind. Some guys suggest that the servant is actually the boy that he raised from the dead, and he leaves him in his wake, and he, and he has suicidal thoughts. He actually prays that God will just take his life. He's gone from this place, and all of a sudden, just in one brief moment, took his eyes off God, and, and he's ended up here. He's ended up running for his life, and he's ended up in such a burnt-out, meltdown place that he wants to die. Just took his eyes off God, just for one second. And I just want to interject there, because we serve a beautiful, magnificent God. And this guy has a total meltdown, a total meltdown. And yet God restores him. He puts him to sleep. He feeds him, gives him something to drink, lets him rest again, restores him physically. And then by incredible divine intervention, he leads him back to God himself, where God can deal with him. And so we see that he finds his way back to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so we're going to pick up the story there, if you can read with me, 1 Kings 19, verse 9 to 13. Then he went into a cave and spent the night, this is at Horeb, on the mountain of God, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. 
He went and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a great question. What are you doing here? Bradley? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? It's a great question of God. What are we doing here? He doesn't entertain Elijah's moans for one second. He doesn't even deal with his suicidal tendencies. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, we can, we can waltz in here like day after day, week after week. We can warm the plastic chairs, drink the coffee. We can steal the oxygen inside the, the auditorium. Bradley, it's written to me. What are we doing here? Guys, what are we doing here? It's an amazing question. It's an amazing question. Because we can come through the doors with no transformation, no life, no impact, no changes whatsoever, week after week. What are you doing here, Bradley? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's a great question to ask ourselves as believers in the kingdom. What are you doing here? And it's amazing how Elijah just sort of vomits everything at the feet of God. And just a list of complaints about the condition of life in South Africa. That's what it looks like when I read it. Hey? The taxi drivers, they've torn down the altars. You know? The ANC has run the place into the ground. Lord God, have you seen what they're doing here? I just want to go to Australia. Look at Eskom. My finances are in disarray. The place is a mess. Lord God, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God, but, but look at the condition of things, Lord God. I hate my job. I can't handle my family. My marriage is tanking, Lord God. It's amazing. He just takes his focus off God and just all, the way, all of a sudden onto his circumstances. He just, he's just looking at his circumstances, just looking at his life. It's just one huge complaint. And he's, he's not effective at all in the kingdom of God. He's not effective. And God doesn't even deal with it. He just says, what are you doing here? It's very easy to lose focus. It's so easy. I woke up early this morning to prepare my, my message, and there was peace on earth. I was alone. It was wonderful. <laughs> then I had an argument with my one son about FIFA. Then I got in the car to come here. By the way, Josh, what did you hit on the road last night? Because like an emu or an ostrich or... There's just feathers everywhere, like windscreen wipers. So I got in the car, then I drove down the road. By the time we hit, we'd run one kilometer, I accused my, how's this, eh? How's this? We got one K down the road. I inadvertently blamed my wife for the lack of accountability in my son's behavior. She asked me to stop the car, open the door, so she's going to walk home. This is this morning. This is this morning. And just so easily our focus shifts. And she doesn't want to come to church with me. Because, because we get so caught up in the things of the world. But guys, it's a tendency that we have is that our focus is so directly on ourselves. So directly. It's amazing. And he, he says, I've been very, very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. It's quite incredible because you can also come here with a shining ministry profile. You can. You can get caught up in your ministry. You can caught up in your home ministry. You can caught up in the, in, the, in the success of what you're doing in the church. And you can take your eyes off God, and all of a sudden you find yourself completely meltdown, burnt out, at a loss. 
And a couple of years ago, um, I actually just wanted to step off this team. I just, I just, just lost focus. Just lost focus, just for an instant. I just lost focus. And I felt the weight of the pressure of, of trying to run a business and lead staff and trying to lead my family and provide for them in a difficult time and, and the pressures of ministry. And I just lost focus, just for a second. And, and I wanted to run away. And Nick stood in my way. Yeah, you need guys to stand in your way. And he stood in my way, and he, and he said, you've just got to be sure of your calling. If you're called to this, you've got to pick yourself up. You've got to go forward. See, that's what happens in this scripture. God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Doesn't entertain anything about his circumstances. And then he just reaffirms his calling. He reaffirms his calling. See, you might think that I'm speaking about guys who are like in full-time. You are in full-time ministry. If you're a born-again believer, you're in full-time ministry. I consider myself someone in full-time ministry with a side gig, which is my business. My business is not my life. It's just a part of my ministry. It's the space where a lot of my ministry actually gets worked out, as as, as difficult as it is. Your job is a place where your ministry gets worked out. If you're a student or at school, as much as you like it or don't like it, that's where God's calling you to walk this thing out in every aspect of it. You are in full-time ministry. And so you've got to behave like a full-time minister. And you've got to ask yourself, what am I doing here? Does my work life, school life, student life, house, wife life, does it represent the kingdom? Am I effective in that space? Or am I just warming the seats, drinking coffee, and sucking the air out of the auditorium every Sunday? We are in full-time. Aside from what happened this morning, when people come forward because we love to pray as elders, so don't hear what I'm not saying. We love to pray. I love to pray for people. I love to pray for people. But I get many messages or get asked to pray for somebody by someone who could actually pray for that person. Guys, you're in full-time ministry. Other elders have got access to God and everybody else doesn't. It's an old covenant, Old Testament theology. It's wrong. When Jesus died, the curtain got torn, which means that if you believe in Jesus, you've got access directly to him to pray for healing, to pray for whatever it might be, to pray for people. I don't have to pray for them. Grant doesn't have to pray, nor does John and nor does Nick. We love to pray, and we want to stand with you. And when we call you to the front, it's so that, you see, it's a step of faith you coming forward. It's not so we can pray with you. It's actually what God's doing in your heart to bring you to the front. But you can pray for anybody. If you're a born-again believer, God has placed His Spirit in you. He's given you authority. You don't have to rely on us. That's old theology. Are you with me? Okay. There's a second way that we can lose focus on God. One, is that, one of them is that we focus on our suffering and our trials. The second way is much more subtle. See, we have an enemy and Christians. Or better yet, no-time Christians. Oxygen thieves. And he's so sneaky that he'll actually make you very comfortable in your life. Comfort is exceptionally dangerous. Comfort is exceptionally dangerous. Nowhere in the Bible are you called to be comfortable. You are called to be peaceful and rejoice, even in hard times. Never comfortable. The only time the Bible speaks about comfort is when we are comforting somebody else or when God is comforting us. 
we have got to be very, very cautious about getting comfortable. It's dangerous. Comfort is not a fruit of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. No comfort. Just no comfort. It's dangerous. You see, our quest for personal comfort makes us very lazy, dozy Christians. Very ineffective. Very ineffective. And the Bible warns us, eh? it says, time is short. In Ephesians 5 verse 14, it says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what it says. But that wake up is, wake up! It's like that. It's wake up. It's wake up. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Otherwise, we're just going to be lazy, very docile. You see, the picture in that scripture in Ephesians is actually a baby sucking on a dummy. I actually prefer the American word for dummy, which is pacifier. See, it makes you passive for the things of the gospel. It makes you passive for the power of scripture. It makes you passive in response to people's needs. It makes us passive. So the devil just gives us something and we suck on that thing and we doze off. It says in Ephesians 5 verse 14, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Guys, we have to be very careful that we don't lapse into a comfortability. Very dangerous. In Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to the churches. He speaks to the churches, and he speaks to seven churches. And one is the church in Laodicea. And he says this, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That word is actually vomit. Jesus says, if you're, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. This is to a church. This is New Testament stuff. This is Jesus speaking directly. He says this, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's what he says to the church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so you can see. Comfort and wealth can make us blind to the things of the gospel. It can make us blind to the purposes of Jesus. It can make us blind. Comfort is dangerous. Every time... I find myself in a lukewarm space, and it happens from time to time. I meet someone with a back problem. It's like happening now with more regularity. I, uh, I, I'm working in St. Francis, and I got a phone call from the project manager while I was traveling to site. And I know he's an unbeliever. By the way, he speaks. He has to be. And, and he phones, and he said, I hope you're running late. I've got to go to the physio. And when I heard it, I knew. I just I just knew. You know when you know. So I get to site, and I'm chatting to him, and I said, how was physio? And he said, not so good. And then I said, what was wrong? And then when he said my back, I said your back, and then he looked at me a bit funny, because I knew. I'd already known on the phone I was in trouble. 
And, and so I said, Malcolm, I'm going to have to pray for you. And then it got really awkward because we're on a building site and I'm trying to find a space to like tuck him away from the generators and it's weird and it's up a stair and around a corner and there's contractors working everywhere. But I know that God had put me in that space to, to, to work in my heart so that I would I'd pray for him. Corner and I've got my hand on his back and it is so awkward. It is just like everything is just awkward. But I know God's dealing with me because I lapse into those times where I just get very comfortable. And he's called us to serve people. He's called us to be hot. You see, in Laodicea, there was a hot spring and a cold spring. The the cold is refreshing. It's a refreshing spring. As a believer in Christ, you are called to be refreshing people. If people come into your space, they need to be refreshed in the goodness of God. They need to come and be refreshed when they're with you. We are refreshing people. We also hot people. There was a hot spring, and the hot sulfur spring brought healing. God has placed his power in you to heal people. Every single one of you here has the power of healing in you. God doesn't always heal, but he's calling us to pray for healing all the time. Publicly, building sites, I pray in people's homes. Guys, it's never stopped getting awkward for me. I just want to tell you, it never stops feeling a bit weird. Because God's working in me while I'm doing serving him in a particular way. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't get less awkward. You think because I can stand here and I can preach, I can just walk into someone's home and pray for them boldly. No, it's a bit odd. You've got to put your hand on them and you've got to ask them and then they like, look at you. I mean, I've, I've been laughed at and, and, and even when I'm laughed at, I'll still pray. And then the prayers come out a bit wonky and they don't sound very confident, like you're full of faith. But, but I know that God's working in that thing. And I also trust that when God puts me in that position, he's going to heal that guy. I, I believe it 100%. So we've got to watch out for getting lukewarm. We're not a lukewarm people here. We're not a lukewarm people. And so you've got to ask yourself what you're doing here. What am I doing here, Bradley? What am I doing here? It's a statement of purpose. When God asked it, he's, it's a, it's a purpose-driven statement. It's a purpose-driven statement because he wants to reaffirm your calling. He wants to reaffirm it. It's actually best said by John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Or John the weird guy in the camel hair clothing who's eating locusts and wild honey. Very strange cat. Very, very strange cat. But he's an amazing guy. If you want to study a guy that's devoted to Jesus, you go and look at that guy. Because it's a reminder of the purpose of my life. It's the reminder of the purpose of your life. In John 1.22... John, we see John, we introduce to him, and he's actually, he's devoted his entire life to preaching and then leading people to a repentance is baptizing people. That's it. And so the Pharisees come to him and they ask him this question. They say, who are you? You see, people always want to know how important you are. God's question to Elijah is, what are you doing? It's purpose-driven. It's destiny-driven. It's about calling. People always want to know if you're really important. They want to know your status, your position, how cool are you, because they ask him, are you Elijah, are you a prophet, are you Messiah, who are you? We want to know who we're dealing with here. And when they ask him, who are you, he says an amazing thing. He says, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight paths for the Lord. That is a scripture out of Isaiah. Guys, if if I stood here and told you that I've been prophesied about in Isaiah, 
I mean, this is a scripture. He's quoting Isaiah and saying, that's me. You know, if you ask me, who am I? I'd say, I'm the guy in Isaiah. Like, that's me. That's me. I mean, you could build a mega church on that kind of ego stuff. It doesn't do anything to him. It does nothing. Because they say to him, they say to him, but, but like, why are you baptizing then? Why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing? You, this guy, has been prophesied about in Isaiah. And so it says, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And this is John's reply. And he says, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. You want to know why I do what I do? So that Jesus Christ gets revealed. That's it. So that Jesus Christ can be revealed. I'm taking my gifts so that Jesus Christ can be revealed. What are you doing here, John? I'm here to reveal you, Lord. What are you doing here, Bradley? I'm here to reveal you, Lord. That's my sole purpose. That is your sole purpose, wherever you find yourself, to reveal the Lord. My gifts for you, Lord. Guys, Lisa brought a word. Every single person here has got gifts. There are people in this room with unbelievable gifts. Unbelievable gifts. And they're dormant. They are dormant. That prophetic word of colors on canvas, we're going to pray for that this morning. But they are dormant. When I got to that church, this church, there were some of you guys that were on fire for Jesus. What has happened in the last couple of years? What has happened? My gifts for you, Lord. Unbelievable musical gifts. Unbelievable gifts. Encouragement, mercy, service. Unbelievable gifts. What has happened? Where has it gone? My talents for you, Lord. My strengths for you, Lord. My weaknesses. God will even use our weaknesses. That's what he says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Even my weaknesses are for him to glorify him. Even my weaknesses reveal him. My work life is to reveal you. It's to reveal how your kingdom comes. It reveals how we, how we operate in that space. You've positioned us to touch people. My difficult family It's so that the world can see what biblical headship looks like, can see what biblical marriage looks like, can see what godly parenting looks like, even though it's difficult. It's to reveal you. My ability to make money. There are guys in this church who have an unbelievable gift to make money. They just have the, the ability to make money. Intelligent, unbelievably, incredibly intelligent people with this gift to make money for you, Lord. It's to reveal you. It's to reveal your generosity and how work is operated and the decisions we make and good governance. It's to reveal you. I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to pray. And I do want to pray for people with back problems this morning <laughs> when I end, because this obviously was a letter to Bradley. I want to end with a scripture out of Romans 12, verse 11. It's a great scripture. 
Can you put it up for me? Romans 12 verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Last weekend I said to the guys I was with, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to tell you what not to do, I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. This is the how to do it bit. Okay, and then we're going to pray. But this is the scripture out of Romans 12. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That word's fervor. There's a Greek word. I don't know how to pronounce it. I need to ask Dimitri. I don't know if it's Zyontes or Zyontes or Zyontes. I've got no idea. It actually just means to boil. It means to boil. It means to boil for Jesus. It means to boil. It says, never be lacking in zeal. You see, Elijah said, I have been zealous for you, Lord. Past tense. So I used to be zealous, Lord. Now look at all the, look, look, look what's taking place, Lord. That's a command. It says, never be lacking in zeal. You, you need to boil for Jesus. You know, have you ever, have you ever gone to anywhere with a lot of noise? It spits, it overflows, there's hissing, it affects the environment. A boiling pot in a kitchen affects everything. You can't avoid it. You can't, it's almost like your eyes are drawn to that thing. That scripture says, boil for Jesus. We are supposed to be boiling. It's not a personality trait. It's not about extroverted people. It's about an internal heart's desire to boil for Jesus, to overflow, to affect the environment around us. There's a hissing and a spitting and a steaming for Jesus, not lukewarm. We are not called to be lukewarm Christians. Jesus says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, I don't know how much more intense we need to be encouraged. And so I want to pray for that this morning. For those who, who feel lukewarm, I want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the gifts get reactivated in this church. I want, I want to pray against dead things in our hearts, where we just, because of the conditions of our life or the difficulty or the suffering, we've just lost focus on Jesus. I want to pray against that. Sometimes we just lose it. Hey? You just lose it. My wife nearly didn't come to church. My stupid behavior this morning. Just lost focus, just for a second. But I want to pray for that. I spent time with um, uh, one of the ladies who, who was at the church where I was last week. It was great. We were running through the meeting, before the meeting. And then I just said to her, are we going to have some ministry time? And Chanel. She was like, of course we have ministry time. That's why we do what we do. Guys, we come to church that God can deal in our hearts. We don't come here just so we can warm the chairs and drink coffee. We come so God can do stuff in us. So we can touch the world. That's why we're here. And so you don't have to come to the front, but I want you to stand up. If the thing's dead in your heart, I want to pray for you this morning. If you feel like you just, you've just lapsed into lukewarmness, just stand this morning. It's not to embarrass anybody. I just want to pray. I want to activate us this morning. I want to pray for an activation. I want us to boil for Jesus. Just like boil. Be on fire for Him doesn't matter how awkward and how weird the praying gets or when you bump into people, but we're a praying people. We are a people that overflow, that should, that should affect the environment. And I want to pray for that this morning. And I'm trusting God for it. And then anyone who has a back problem. No, seriously, if you've got a back, if you're struggling with your back, see, I think it's a prophetic message for me. See, it's people who are battling to stand up straight. It's a spiritual thing. It's like when you're battling to stand up straight. And I had a back problem for years where you can't. I just I feel like it's a spiritual thing. I want to pray for backs. Pray God would heal backs. And so let's pray this morning. I'm going to pray for just for the power of the Spirit to reactivate things. This is the letter to Bradley. 
you standing in faith with me too. Father, I thank you that when you, when you deal with us, you really get to the core of the matter. I love that about you. I love that we can moan and complain. And it's not that you're not compassionate, but that you're sovereign. And when you're sovereign, you get to the heart of the matter. It's tough living in this country, Lord God. It's tough. It's not easy. We've got families. We've got businesses. We've got work lives. We've got unemployment. We've got challenges. It's difficult here, Lord, and you know it's difficult. And you've promised that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. You'll walk us through those things. But you have called every single person in this church that's standing this morning. You've called them by name. You've called them by name. Because you've called them, they're yours. And you've called them into your love and service. You didn't call them into a lukewarm faith. You've called them into a supernatural time of their lives where, where you've called them to operate, to love people, to bless people, to heal people, to touch people in your power, in your authority. And I pray that over them right now. I pray your Holy Spirit over every single one of them, Lord God. I pray spiritual fervor over them. I pray that you will boil inside them. Holy Spirit, would you touch in this church, Lord God? This is a gifted people. These are your people. You do nothing randomly. It's all with incredible purpose, with unbelievable design, young and old. Whether you're at school, whether you're a student, whether you're at work, whether you're a housewife, whether you're unemployed, whether you're a domestic worker or a rep or an academic doctor or an entrepreneur, whether you're going into a new season or you're coming out of one, I pray that you would boil inside for Jesus. Holy Spirit, pour yourself down on these people. Activate things. Open their eyes so that they can see the things of the kingdom, the need of the gospel. I pray that over them. In Jesus' name. Those who have back problems. Is there anyone with a back problem this morning? Jane up, George. Anyone with a back problem? Anyone with a back problem? Okay. The person next to the people with a back problem, can you put your hand on their backs? I'm going to pray with you, but you've got to pray for healing. God has given you the authority to pray. If you're a born-again believer, you have the authority of God in you to heal people. Father God, you've given us authority. You've said, I've placed my authority inside you. You have commanded us to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. You've commanded it, Lord God. I believe it. It's for all people, for all people who belong to you. And I pray for backs right now, Lord God. I pray that you are going to work between sinew and bone and muscle and cartilage. I pray for it. I pray your Holy Spirit would get in there and work in there, Lord God, and heal things that have never been able to be healed by physiotherapists or chiropractors or doctors. I speak the name of Jesus over every single back in this room. That you will be able to extend that back. That you'll be able to stand up straight in the power of Jesus. I pray for that right now. And I thank you for your wonder-working power, Lord God. I thank you for your wonder-working power. I thank you for your miracles. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us in unbelievable ways. We praise your mighty name. Pour yourself out on your people. Pour yourself out, just your spirit. Pour it out, Lord God. Praise you. Praise you. Trusting you for amazing, amazing, amazing miracles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Great, Brad. Thank you so much for that word this morning.